Hello, and welcome to Huguenot Podcast, episode 43. Um, just me again, but before we get into the topic today, just want to go over the regular station news. So, if you want to check out my homepage, please feel free to do that, and you can find that at hugenhoff.org. That's H-U-G-I-N-H-O-F.org. If you had any uh, questions, concerns, comments, or show ideas, please send those to hugenhoffpodcast at gmail.com. And you can find that on my homepage. I also want to mention that uh, I am a network partner with Northern Runes Radio. So if you are not getting this through their RSS feed, I would suggest checking them out. And they can be found at northernrunesradio.com. You can find all of their stuff. There's a a big diversity of shows there. So uh, a lot to listen to, a lot of different perspectives. And um, Dan always puts up really good stuff. I always like Dan's stuff. He, I think he's um, still doing his esoteric series, which is really good. So I would definitely suggest you checking that out um, and everybody else on the on the page as well. They also have non-podcast-related stuff, um, and you can check that out there. It's it's all under their network partners, We've got like publishers and stuff like that. So check them. <clears throat> excuse me, check them out if you haven't already. But to jump into what we are going to be discussing today, we I'm going back to um, the Elder Eddas to look at uh, some stuff there. And today, hold on, let me flip to this. We are, I'm kind of just going in order of the stories when I do these. So we're doing the Lay of Grimnir. So this is an interesting one. What I'm going to do is basically tell the story really quick. Then I'm going to go over some interesting stuff that happens in the story that I like. And then I'm going to get deeper into it. What's the meaning of the story and all of that stuff. So basically what happened is there is a king and he had uh, two sons, Agner and Gerard. Uh, so they left, they went out onto a small rowboat to fish and got lost or whatever. Uh, let's see. Any, anyway, basically what happens is, um, the, the two go out and get stranded on an island and then they decide to set sail for a new land and they do so, um... And when they get to the new land, Agnor, I believe it is, pushes him, pushes the boat with Gerard off into the water. And he ends up floating around and ends up um, marrying like a troll woman on some island. So not a very honorable future for him. Uh, But the other one, Agnor, ends up founding a kingdom and being a king. Well, Odin and Frigga both sort of take favorites in this before all of this happened, and Agnar was Odin's favorite and Jared was Frigga's favorite. So basically Frigga says, or or Odin says to Frigga, oh, look at your favorite, he's off with a troll woman. Mine's obviously better. And Frigga's like, no, yours isn't better. He may be a king, but he's stingy with food, and, and that's... That's not okay. That's no good. So Odin's like, "No, he's not. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go and and I'll show you." And uh, Frigga, meanwhile, before he gets there, sends one of her handmaidens, I believe, to go and um, give a prophecy to the king. And the prophecy she gives is, "Beware a wizard." Uh, what is it? I think it's beware a wizard and you'll be able to identify him because no dog, no matter how fierce, will be willing to bark at him. And that's one of the aspects of Odin, that no dog, no matter how fierce, will bark at him. So anyway, Odin goes there and Agnar sees him and thinking he's the wizard from the prophecy, he ties him up above a fire for nine days and nine nights and he gives him no food or mead. But on the last night, his son, who I uh, who is named Agnar. Oh, you know what? I am I got the names backwards. I'm sorry. Gerard is the one who has the kingdom, and Agnar is the one who's living with the troll wife. Okay, so on the ninth night, Agnar, who is Gerard's son, because he named him after his brother, comes and offers him a glass of mead. 
and he ends up getting rewarded for this out and basically says you'll be prosperous you'll have good lands and and, and you'll rule this kingdom till a ripe old age for treating me with hospitality where your father Gerard did not and he tied me over a fire uh, and anyway he tells him a little pieces of the lore and stuff like that which is what I'll be going over um, in the second part and then Odin ends up telling Gerard who he is that he's Odin and the king's so like dismayed at what he's done he's sitting on his chair with his hat with his sword half unsheathed and he gets up and the sword clatters forward and falls out of the scabbard pointing up and then he stumbles and falls onto the sword and ends up stabbing himself so then Agnar rules the kingdom okay so let me just flip through a couple stanzas here uh Odin of course um was bound blah 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 okay so here's a stanza that i like to go over odin goes over a little bit of um ragnarok i'm not ragnarok but of valhalla there's a lot of descriptions of valhalla and they're sort of scattered throughout the lore so i'm going to read this description odin's hero know that so odin's hero would be thine harriar Odin's heroes know his hall as soon as they see it. Spears are its rafters, shields thatch the roof, burnies cover the benches. Odin's hero knows his hall as soon as they see it. A wolf hangs over the western door, above it an eagle hovers. A river roars, the great wolf's fish swims in the stream, the depths of that river seem too deep when the slain seek to cross. Guarding Valhalla, a holy gate, defends the inner doors. Ancient it is, and few men know what kind of lock will close it. Five hundred and forty doors you will find in Valhalla. Eight hundred warriors will use just one when they go to fight Fenrir. That particular stanza is interesting. There's five hundred and forty doors. And out of each door comes 800 warriors. You could do the math and see exactly how many Einherjar there is. And if you want to do that, I did it once for fun. You can. But what it does get at is the Einherjar, with the millions of people in the world, the Einherjar are a very um, select group of warriors, and they're not infinite. So you have a lot of people who seem to think that to get into Valhalla, you just have to like honor Odin and think war is cool. And that's really not the extent of it. You really do have to be like some amazingly great hero. But with that said, because there, I think the idea that everyone can get into Valhalla comes from the equally incorrect idea that Valhalla is also true heaven, and it's not. There's a lot of afterlives in also true. A lot of places you can go. You could go to Gladsheim with the elves. You could go to, <clears throat> well, all of the gods have different halls. Maybe you could go there. Um, a lot of regular people go to hell. Hell doesn't necessarily mean you're evil. It's just a, uh, the underworld of sorts. It's not good per se, but it's not necessarily like a place of punishment and torture. That would more be knifeful hell. But um, my point is the afterlife is very big. I don't know if it's even necessarily set in stone that you'll go to some place you read about in the lore. You may be able to just wander the tree after you die. And I don't know. I mean, a lot of most of the afterlife stuff is theory because I think Asatru makes a point to focus on life and not so much the afterlife because the main focus is life and how you live your life today yet we're always interested in the afterlife just because people are curious so that's fine too um, but there's a lot of places you can go when you die is my point and I think that becomes almost necessary because we see we have a finite number of people who can be Einherjar and though the number is large when you read it if you think about all of humanity the entire history of like the human race it's a very small percentage of people who will actually go to Valhalla so wanted to say that going on the goat hydrant stands on 
Warfather's Hall and bites off Laedra's branches. The cask she fills with clearest mead can't be drunk dry. Eichthnir the stag stands on Warfather's Hall and bites off Liardra's branches. Drops from his horn falls down to the well from which the world's rivers run. I have raised my eyes to the gods above, and I'll soon have help from the Aesir, who come in to Aegir's Hall to hold a feast. Oh, and then, um, this, that's actually where... Actually, this, um, Odin's starting to talk about who he actually is, but I'll go ahead and finish it. Um, my name is Grim, my name is Ganglary, Herjan and... Yamberi, Thek and Thridi, Thund and Ud, Halblindi and Har, South and Svipal and Sangatol, Hertet and Hineker. Sorry if I butchered those names. I've never been known by one name only since I have wandered the world. Um, and then he does go on and, and finishes it. Oh, actually, you know, I'm going to finish this because there's an interesting last line. Seth and Svipal and... S oh, sorry. Too much ale, Gerard, so that's the king, muddles your mind. Trusted friends betray you. I can see the sword you carry with its blade all wet with blood. Yig will soon summon the slain. Your life won't last much longer. The Norns don't smile on you. Now you see I'm Odin. Come close to me if you can. And that's when King Garrod gets up and trips over his sword. So this is actually a very short um, story. It's like... Um, I am reading, by the way, a book called Poems of the Elder Edda, revised edition, translated by Patricia Terry. It's just a translation of the Eddas I have. That seems pretty good. Uh, it's all free on sacred text, so... Still, I will try to put a link in the show note or just Google um, Elder Edda's sacred text, and you can you can get all the stories for free. Um, so I did want to get the descriptions of Valhalla because, again, those are scattered in many places over the throughout the lore, and I think this is a good description of Valhalla. Again, it's it's very warlike and is very focused on war, and they call him War Father in here. Um, that's not because Asatru, as a belief or as a religion, is war-focused. It's because the Einherjar are very much a part of war. That is one aspect of our religion. And if you think about Ragnarok, what everybody is getting ready for, especially these warriors in Valhalla, is a, is a war. It's the end of the world, the end of the gods and men. And of course, rebirth at the end, but... You know, for the for the first part, the end, the end of everything. So you know, you would you would fight to make sure that goes as you would want it to. So so there's a lot of allusions to war and stuff in there. You know, the roof thatched with uh, shields and and spears and all of that stuff. Anyway, um. So, what do I want to go over next? Um, sort of some thoughts I had on the story, I guess. Um, first of all, there's always the question, like, do the gods do something immoral? Because I think that's a big question that we can legitimately ask. If you view the gods as your ancestors, you could say, you know, they are... They are flawed beings just like us who do immoral stuff all the time. And that's okay because they're our ancestors and we're not saying they're perfect and we're not saying they're an example we should follow. We're just saying that they happen to be related to us so we should be nice to them and spend time with them and stuff like that. Kind of like you spend time with your family, not because they're good people, but just because they're your family. Or you could take it as the gods are actually moral entities who you would actually who you would want to emulate. So there's some interesting stuff going on in here as far as morals go. Uh, first, Odin and Frigga both pick a favorite, and in, in the beginning story, Gerard, the one brother, is in the boat with Agnar, the other brother, and they get to the island, and he just pushes the boat back to sea so he can get the kingdom all for himself, basically. 
I don't know if that's a moral action or not. That's certainly questionable. So let's start by knowing that Gerard is of questionable morality to begin with. Um, I don't know. The question, does he break autonomy? Uh, I mean, certain, certainly Agnar did not want to be pushed <clears throat> back out to sea. And it's certainly not a very hospitable thing that he did. But if it's truly immoral or not, <clears throat> excuse me, would be one that I'd have to think about. I'm kind of leaning towards it. Probably is. Uh, so the second thing. So he happens to be Odin's favorite. That just means he's Odin's favorite. That doesn't mean he represents Odin in any way, shape, or form. So let's not get confused there. Um, you could say, oh, well, since he liked Odin, Odin's responsible for his actions. But I think that's a little ridiculous, and I don't have to... I don't think I have to explain why that doesn't make any sense. Um Basically, you can't be held accountable for other people's actions. You're only, from a moral perspective, you're only accountable for your own actions. Now, granted, if you swear oaths to another person, it becomes a little more complicated, where you are partially responsible for their actions, though ultimately each individual is responsible for their own actions. However, responsible or not other people's actions that you swear oaths with and associate with will affect you in, in some sense. And you know, I'm not talking about anything spiritual or magical here. I'm just talking about something very practical. Um, if, if I am good friends with, I don't know, a murderer, um, I'm not immoral because he murders people. However, since I'm friends with him, the police will justifiably look uh, skeptically at me, and they'll probably harass me a little bit because they'll be like, oh, you're friends with that murderer. You might be doing bad stuff yourself. So there's consequences for being friends or married to or in any way associated with bad people, but you're not necessarily immoral for the actions that they do. So anyway... um, Jared is at least not a nice guy for pushing his brother back because his brother ends up floating around and falls on that island and marries the troll woman. So he's at least not very nice. So then I think the more interesting one, because it's the actions of the gods here, is Ferguson's um, somebody to tell a fortune. It doesn't say outright, but certainly implied to get Jared in trouble. So let's see... Let's see exactly what this book says. Here we go. Frigg sent Fulla, one of her maids, to Gerard. She bade the king take care not to be bewitched by a wizard who had come into his land, and said he could recognize he could be recognized by the fact that no dog, no matter how savage, would attack him. And so on. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, so that prophecy, all full of saying there, is she's telling the king to take care not to be bewitched by a wizard who comes into his land. She doesn't actually say, take this guy and tie him up between two fires and leave him there for nine nights. You know, that's sort of on him. That was his decision to make. Now, of course, if somebody tells you something and you do it, you bear the brunt of the responsibility for that. However, the other person who told you to do it bears some amount of responsibility. So, for example, if I say, hey, you should kill somebody, and you do, the brunt of the responsibility is bared for you, and you'll you'll spend the present time. However, I still did something wrong, and I still have a moral... I've still done an immoral thing, because I told you to do something that was immoral. But I feel like, again, in this story, and in a lot of the stories where people say, like, the gods are doing immoral things, if you really look at the story, she just said, beware to not be bewitched by a wizard. And quite honestly, Odin is a wizard, and he's capable of bewitching. Not that he had any intention of doing it in this situation. 
However, simply giving a warning to be cautious around this person does not seem to go to the extent of actually being an immoral action, and it could certainly be justified by saying Odin does have a certain dangerous side to himself, which is quite true. Um, but still, giving a simple warning like a simple prophecy like that, which isn't entirely untrue, doesn't seem to be immoral. And it's hard to say what Frigga's real intention were, was, obviously, since we don't personally know the gods well enough to ask them something like that. And I don't know, some people might. Uh, I do think you should ask the gods questions and commune with them. This isn't one I've actually asked. I don't know if her intention was maybe to make um, Gerard a little cautious and thereby a little stingy and sort of prove her point and um you know just just as a point she wanted to prove or if her attention was that he'd actually like take him and tie take this traveler and tie him up so i don't think that fulla or frigga did anything immoral there they just said this relatively small warning the king seems like he was really overly paranoid I mean, even if it was a more dire warning, you still shouldn't, on sight, tie something somebody up. Now, admittedly, when Odin came, he questioned him, and he's like, what are you doing here, and who are you, and all this other stuff. And Odin refused to tell, which, of course, that's within your rights as well. You're always allowed to refuse to give information, so he can't say Odin did something wrong there. So I think Jared's reaction to the situation was kind of extreme and since he actually tied somebody up and put them over the fire that's obviously immoral you can't do that obviously breaks autonomy if you tie somebody up and put them over the fire well unless you ask for permission first but the story didn't say did and it's rarely the case that you ask permission before you tie people up and put them over a fire so i think something we can a safe conclusion to come to is that Jared did actually do something immoral here. Okay, so where I am in this story is Jared did do at least one thing immoral by tying Odin up, possibly two with Agnar, but I could see that argued either way, and so far the gods haven't done anything immoral. Now what I find interesting is the way he died. Seemed to be Odin didn't free himself and then kill Jared. That's not what happened. He got up and his sword clattered forward on the floor and then he stumbled on it and stabbed himself. So it was all like random chance that killed him. Um, and then this line right before he dies. The Norns don't smile, Odin saying to Gerard, The Norns don't smile on you. Now you see I'm Odin. Come close to me if you can. So... If the Norns don't smile on him, was this his fate? And I think there's a couple interesting things to mention here. First of all, if you think back to the prophecy of beware this wizard who's going to come, well, we know that Frigga knows the fates of all men. That she never tells, but she knows the fates of all men before they happened. Quite honestly, it was a, legit a legitimate warning. She knew that the fates would kill Gerard due to him seeing that Odin had come and panicking like he did because she knows the fates of men. So it it wasn't it wasn't an it, it, you could see it as a prophecy that was in no way malicious. It was a prophecy that was meant to actually protect Gerard. Um but it turns out to be a self fulfilling prophecy because if it wasn't given quite Possibly he wouldn't have tied Odin up in the first place. So it's one of those interesting self-fulfilling prophecies, which I always like. She gives a legitimate warning that, hey, if you let this guy come, or she gives a legitimate warning like, hey, if you see this wizard that no dogs will bark at, be cautious because that is the end of your life approaching. And because he heeded the philosophy, the, the prophecy in his own way of, immediately capturing him and putting him on fire as the fate was fulfilled because he saw what he did and he got up and he stumbled. But it's interesting, who killed Gerard in this story? Were they justified? Probably. Yeah, probably, because he did definitely break autonomy. 
Um, but who was it? It wasn't Odin. It wasn't Frigga. I think it's the fates here. And then that's another interesting thing to think about. I've always said that I believe the gods to be moral. Um, sometimes their actions are just difficult to understand, and we need a little study and a little introspection to see why this action or that action may be moral. But I don't know if the fates have the same requirement or not. Are the fates necessarily moral, or are they um, amoral entities? And not immoral, but just entities that are part of the force of nature. They are not moral or immoral. And I think there's a good chance that's the case. Um, We live in a chaotic universe, and we live in a scary universe, and we live in a universe where there isn't a definite right and wrong. The universe doesn't care about right and wrong. Now, the gods, and the reason we follow them, and the reason we honor them, and the reason we try to emulate them, they have tried to impose order upon the chaotic universe that we live in, and they've tried to impose morality upon the chaotic universe that we live in. And quite honestly, they've done a very good job. I mean, here... In Midgard, where we are right now, in this little section of the universe, which we inhabit, things are relatively ordered and relatively moral in the sense that there's consequences for being immoral. However, the universe at large is not moral or immoral. The universe at large is not anything. It just is. It You know, it's like the laws of physics. Gravity isn't good. Gravity isn't bad. Gravity kills people every year, and I'm sure gravity saves people every year. But it's not moral or immoral. It's just a law of nature. You cannot impose morality on it. And I wonder if the Norns, though they're entities to an extent, they're they're also a personification of fate. And I don't think fate is a thing of morality. I think it is just a force in the world. Um, And a lot of times in the past I've talked about fate and how at least a large part of it is really just cause and effect. You know, there's certain things, and if you do them, there'll be an effect. If you drop a hammer at the right angle, it will land on your foot. Not because fate hates you and is trying to punish you, but because that's just the way things happen. And, you know, the, the classic question, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, generally speaking, bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people because we do certain actions to make our lives better or worse. But it is true that quite often bad things happen to good people and the reason is the universe is random. And it's it's not fair and it's not fun to think about. But nonetheless, it is the case. I mean... Sometimes bad things really do happen to good people, and and that's unfortunate, but that's the way the world works, because as much as we have tried to put order and justice into our world, and even though we've done a really good job at it, the nature of the universe is chaotic, and we can't always make the good people, or we can't always make it be the case that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. It can't happen 100% of the time because there's always an element of chaos in our world which is, uh, quite honestly, beyond our control. So, is that what happens to Gerard? I don't know. It seems to be because it's just uh accumulation of all these things that that happen just right to lead to his death. So, I mean, that's kind of interesting. There is sort of the idea of uh, fate, randomness, and chaos mixed into the story as well. Um, I suppose I can talk about the lessons of the story as well. I mean, there is a big lesson in here, and it's hospitality. Um... I guess there's two levels of hospitality. One is, you know, your guest comes, you give them food, drink, be nice to them, all of that stuff. Um, But there's also the lesson, which I suppose is really more obvious, don't torture your guests. I mean, if you're all-powerful, if you're a king, you don't 
get suspicious of somebody and torture them. I mean, the Havamal talks constantly about having your weapons ready and always being prepared, especially in foreign lands, especially around strangers, which is good advice. You have to always be prepared. But again, there's an element of balance. Yes, you need to be prepared, but no, you can't just go out and kill everybody who you think might be dangerous. Because that's not right. That's not a moral ethical thing to do uh anyway so i think that's the big lesson that's in this story is the idea of hospitality and how we need to be hospitable and also the balance between caution and just like going way overboard and killing anybody that you think is dangerous. And I, I think that's where we need to be. We do need to be cautious, as the Havamal tells us. But we can't go over the top and say, okay, I'm going to be cautious, and in my attempt to be cautious, I'm just going to kill everybody who I don't trust. Or I'm going to purposely try to ruin everybody's lives so they don't come around me. That's too far. You probably shouldn't even take the attitude of never talking to anybody in public because they might be dangerous. I mean, I'm not telling you to go to the bad part of town and start talking to people. And I'm not telling you to give your credit card number to some guy online because they ask you if they can borrow $3 and they promise that's all they'll take from your credit card. That's stupid. Meeting people online is relatively dangerous. So if you're going to do that, if you want to do that, then... You need to be cautious, you know, not give out too many personal details. But on the other hand, you don't need to avoid, avoid it entirely either. And I wouldn't suggest avoiding it entirely. And, you know, maybe um, people at your work or the social events you may or may not go to, or at least at work, you know, everybody work. most people work with a lot of different individuals. Don't be so cautious that you're unwilling to talk to anybody that that you work with or something. I think that's that's really an example of going just way overboard. You need to have a balance and being like, oh, people are scary, so I'm not going to make any friends. That's probably a bad idea. You're being too cautious there. So... So anyway, um, I think that's most of the things I wanted to talk about in this story, but I do have a little bit, um, let's see, I do have a little bit more time, so I guess I'll go over something else. Um, Let's see, we went over caution, and I think that's an important one that we need to remember. Um, especially thinking about the holiday times, you may have things where you'd be overly cautious or underly cautious in this time of year. So I think it's just important to make sure that you've got, you've got the right balance on all of these things. Um, I guess maybe I'll talk about fate for a little bit, because that's, that's always an, that's always an interesting one. Um... Yeah, in this story, the fact that Gerard was ultimately killed by fate, I, I think that's really interesting. Because I said that, generally speaking, I don't think fate or the fates have a moral aspect. It's more of a cause-and-effect relationship. But I wonder if there's an underlying principle here that, you know, this is a cause-and-effect relationship. Is there a natural cause-and-effect relationship to inhospitality and um, being extreme and immoral with people that actually leads to bad things. The, I, the idea would almost be like is um, is justice almost a natural effect of the universe or is it something that we completely impose on the universe? And quite honestly I think I think it's a little bit of both because Bad people can get away with good things, and that happens sometimes. But if you're doing immoral things, more often than not, 
it's actually going to make your life worse. So here in this story is an obvious example of that. But we can think about other examples of it. Like let's say, oh, I don't know. I'm I'm bad with examples like this. Normally I'd just be like, oh, you're a drug dealer. But I don't know if being a drug dealer is immoral or not. I personally don't do drugs. But I don't know if it's, it doesn't seem like it's immoral to do drugs as long as everyone's a voluntary participant. As long as you're like, you know, if you're a person and it's like, hello, drug dealer, I would like to purchase some drugs. I assume that's how it works. I've never bought drugs. I'm just going out on a limb here. And then the drug dealer is like, oh, yes, I have a fine selection of drugs. You can have, um, oh, God, I don't know any drugs. I have some marijuana, and it is $50 for one pound, or I feel like that would be a really cheap. It's $50 for one ounce. Let's just, that's probably about right. Um, would you like to purchase it? And the person's like, yes, yes, indeed I would. And then they, you know, exchange monies, and both people leave happy. I just can't imagine why that's immoral. I can't see how that's wrong in any way, shape, or form. So I, I can't use the drug dealer example, even though it's a normal go-to for a lot of people, because I just don't think you're doing something wrong. Uh, anyway, hopefully I didn't get too political there. Um, oh, let's say you're, you're a, um, a robber, you know. You burglarize people's houses. So you're doing something wrong because you're taking stuff without other people's permission, etc., etc. Uh, well, there's the obvious that you'll probably get caught by the police and that makes your life worse. But then you could say, oh, but that's just because humanity tries to impose justice in the world. That's not because the fates themselves are somehow punishing you for being immoral. Well, let's... Imagine an anarchist society, <clears throat> and let's just put aside anarcho-capitalism and say that police forces and everything weren't created through the free market, and just do the classic anarchy where there's no rules and no governments and everybody's fending for themselves. Well, in that society, if you broke into somebody's house, especially after you did it a couple times you would probably find the owner of that house, and the owner of that house would probably be really upset, and they'd probably hit you in the face with a baseball bat or hurt you in some other way. Not because they were thinking, oh, this person is immoral and I must correct that, correct their moral perspective, but because it's human nature to be upset when somebody steals your stuff. So... In that situation, you are actually putting yourself in danger and making your life worse because you are doing something immoral. And it's just a cause and effect relationship. It's you have chosen a dangerous occupation and now your life is probably worse off for it. Not because you're doing something moral and immoral, but just cause and effect. Or even other really obvious examples you could think of. If you're a robber, you're sneaking into people's houses in the dark, you're likely to trip on something or stub your toe or fall down a hole because you're not familiar with the house that you're robbing. You, d you don't know there's a set of stairs there and you trip down them and hurt yourself. You put yourself in more dangerous situations when you do immoral things. So you really have an interesting idea here, I think that fate punishes you for being immoral an awful lot of the time, not because it has a moral conscience, but merely because immoral modes of life are inherently more dangerous than moral modes of life. The whole idea of humanity is we can get along or, or we can be a lot more productive if we cooperate. You know, we never would have got to the moon if nobody could cooperate long enough to build a spaceship. Um, cooperation is healthy. It's safe. It's safer for us to cooperate and work with each other within certain predefined guidelines than it is for us to just be completely chaotic and look out for yourself. Which 
seems backwards at first glance. You're like, well, if I only care about myself and I just beat everybody up and steal their stuff because I want it, I'll have more stuff, right? Well, no, you won't. Because the people will beat you up and take the stuff back from you more often than not. And no one's going to be making as much stuff because they're all terrified somebody else is going to take it. So really, to have the most stuff, I mean, if you're looking at pure numbers, I want more stuff than I have now. The best way to do that is to cooperate with the rest of society and ultimately live a moral, or by my definition, a moral life. Again, autonomy, I think, is, the, is not only the right way to live, but the most pragmatic way to live. It's the most efficient way to live. Now, even if it wasn't, I would be like, yeah, but it's moral, so I'm still going to do it. But it happens that on the large scale, it is actually the most efficient way to live your life. And I don't know if any of that came from the story, or maybe all of it came from me. I don't know. But I, I do feel like that last line in there seems to at least sort of imply a lot of that um again because it was fate that he that he trips and stumbles over a sword and ends up getting killed and it was relatively few times when just random fate i mean in the lore and the sagas it's a little different but in the lord there's relatively few times where just fate is killing somebody so when it happens i think it um deserves a close look And I just feel like that really makes a lot of sense. You know, what uh, Gerard did in this example here was was to capture someone and torture them for no really, really for no good reason. And then he was sort of punished for it by fate. But then, interestingly, Agnar, who's the one who gave the mead to Odin, is rewarded by Odin. So now you've got the gods doing the actual rewarding. The fate seems to be doing the punishing, but the gods seem to be doing the actual rewarding. And then, who is on, oh gosh, I can't remember which podcast is, quite a few podcasts ago, I talked about the idea of Hell and how you get sent to Hell, and it was not the gods sending you to Hell, but it's just sort of the way of the world. Or you could again say that fate was sort of what was sending you to Hell. It's just the the way the world works will send you there. And I, I went into it into a lot more detail in the last podcast, so I won't go in and go into it in detail now. But again, it's very much the same idea that there's there's a lot of things where it seems like fate is punishing you for doing something immoral. But I don't think it's because fate has a moral conscience. That's what I want to make clear. It's just that doing immoral things is more often than not more dangerous and more hazardous to your health than living a moral life. But I think it's interesting that it's the gods who are doing the rewarding. Odin says, oh, you'll live you'll live a long life and have a prosperous kingdom here to Agnar, who shows good hospitality by giving him the mead. And I guess that's kind of the way of the world, too. You know, you might... Uh, you might lose stuff, and, and you might be in danger because you're living a certain dangerous life or whatever. Um... But you'll have good things happen to you by the by other people. It's it's other people will be able to make your life better by giving by giving you stuff. I hope that kind of I hope that kind of makes sense. Um, again, if you're living a dangerous life in this completely anarchist society we talked about, if you're doing things that would classically be considered immoral in this completely anarchistic society I kind of described here. Um, You see that that would be bad. But to have the rewards of morality, um, to have the rewards of morality, you would have to actually have other people working with you. You couldn't have the rewards of quote-unquote morality in a vacuum because it's other people who you're cooperating with that is that is what is making your life better, the cooperation of other 
of other individuals. So, I don't know. It's it's sort of interesting that you can see a lot of negatives happening just from the inherent danger of living a certain type of life, which would be maybe considered immoral. But you don't get the benefits of living a moral life unless you are interacting with other moral individuals in the society at large. So, Saga's very upset because Totoro is not loading fast enough. Um, oh, don't worry, just in case somebody thinks this, my wife is right here watching her. I'm not just ignoring my baby. Um, interesting side tangent, that would be immoral. So, uh, kind of to wrap up here, I think I'm to the point where I kind of want to do my wrapping up. Um, first of all, let me just wrap that tangent up real quick. Basically, what I'm saying is living an immoral life is more dangerous than living a moral life, and you'll necessarily have a you'll necessarily be in more danger if you are like an immoral person. Whereas the benefits of being a moral individual, you do actually need other people to work with you there. You will not have those benefits in a vacuum, like you would have the detriments in a vacuum. You'll only have the benefits when you act with when you interact with other people. And I think the story, I don't know, maybe I'm reading into it, but it seems kinda like the story's implying that because Gerard is killed by the fates, so he's immoral, so he's he, it, the bad thing happens to him because of the fates, because that's the consequence of the way he lived his life. Whereas Agnar is rewarded by Odin, so he's rewarded by another moral individual who's interacting with him. And, and Odin, in many ways, um, connects to mankind, since he has so much to do with the beginning of mankind. Uh, and now, let me wrap up the whole story at large. Again, just to recap, um, well, I don't need to recap, um, what the story is saying and what I think the real, like, main thing you should pull out of this, instead of what I just said there, which, if you think that's interesting, that's great, think about it, but the real lesson that I'm confident is coming out of this story is hospitality. We need to be hospitable. In all situations, or, um, no, in all situations, we need to be cautious, sure, but we also need to be hospitable. And what Gerard did here was very inhospitable. inhospitable. And what Agnar did was very hospitable, because he's kind of going against his father's, father's wishes, but he's like, look, we can't do this. What we're doing is wrong. I can't just openly defy my father, the king. But what I can do is at least sneak some meat down and make it a little bit better. So again, this moral comes up over and over again. Hospitality. We need to be hospitable. And in this day and age, sometimes it's more difficult. If a stranger knocks on your door, I don't think it would be safe to let them in and be like, oh yeah, come in. Hang out with me. Uh, But what you can do is when you meet people in public, you can be nice to them. You can be hospitable with them. You know, you could buy them a cup of coffee. That's not dangerous, and it's a very nice thing to do if somehow that situation arises. Um, but more importantly, friends and family. If you invite your friends and family over, you know, to the best of your ability, be hospitable to them. If you can't afford nice food, you don't have to give them nice food. Hospitality doesn't require that you go into debt to give your friends nice food. But don't give them cheap stuff in the house. You know, if somebody, if your friends or your family comes over to visit, don't give them the cheap stuff. Do bring out the nice stuff. Be like, hey, I had this. I was saving it, but you're my buddy, so let's try it. Let me bring out the nice stuff. And, you know, go to the store and buy him something good to eat or just you know be good conversation help them out if they need helped out if it's something that's within your ability to do um so yeah i think and i mean it's it's the yuletide season well when i release this it will have just been the yuletide season um but i'm recording it uh 
let's see, Mother's Night has already happened, but Twelfth Night hasn't. Um, this is a good time to think about this. This is a good time to think about hospitality and uh, just being nice to to your friends and family. Uh, it really helps solidify the bonds that you have with them. So, anyway, that's my final word. I think we should definitely be hospitable to one another. We shouldn't be immoral for practical and ethical reasons. Um, hospitality is really important, especially this time of year, but hospitality is is a really a really important thing that I think you should do. So, I think I've rambled on enough. Um, if you had any questions or concerns, please send any emails to hugenhoffpodcast at gmail.com. Again, you can find this story and any other story in the Poetic Edits from Sacred Texts which is uh, just Google Sacred Text Poetic Eddas. Um, yeah, I would suggest reading this story. It's super short. It's just like, it's like three pages. So read it and think about and and see what you think about it. Also, I would suggest you subscribe to the RSS feed. If you want just my podcast, you can go to hugenhoff.org. That's H-U-G-I-N-H-O-F dot org. And you'll see all the episodes there, and there's also a place where you can um, subscribe to the RSS. But I would actually suggest that you go to the Northern Runes Radio site, which is northernrunesradio.com, because you can subscribe to their RSS, and you will get my podcast plus all of the other network partners and, of course, the core part the core broadcast, which is great because I've got a monthly podcast. I've I've got a cute baby girl and another one on the way so I'm not going to start releasing more anytime soon. I am going to keep releasing it monthly but this isn't switching to bi-weekly or weekly anytime soon because two little girls to watch after takes a lot of time and I know especially if you're new to Austria you probably want some content so check that out at Northern Runes Radio. Download their RSS and you get you get podcasts all the time. So it's it's really great that they do that. Um, Dan's done a lot for the community, I think. And, uh, I, and I thank him for that. So hopefully everybody enjoyed this and I wasn't too rambly. Um, but thank you very much for listening. And I will talk to you next month. Fra hail. <laughs>